heavenly, heaping heavenly, heavenly, heavenly peace. Hi, everyone. If you can't tell, I recently watched Mariah's Christmas and I loved it. It made me laugh. It made me cry. I don't know if it's because I've been locked up at home for a very long time and just really needed something festive for the holidays, but it did the trick. I had a couple non-alcoholic eggnogs and woo! When I tell you, the emotions were a roller coaster. I loved it. I actually really, really enjoyed it. I'm seeing those three icons on stage singing and giving me whistle tone harmony was life-changing. I love that Tiffany Haddish was our narrator. There were such fun moments. I love that Billy Eichner played the gay elf or the elf, but you know, Billy's gay and it was clear. And that's that's one of those things that I was talking about before that I talk about with a lot of guests where growing up, you see something and you kind of know it's gay and you know it's queer. And maybe other people don't pick up on it, but you do because you're a queer kid. That's what that role I feel like will be for a bunch of kids watching the show, which I think is wonderful. It's so nice that we have that and that's happening. Um, I also started watching, there's a new season of Big Mouth out which is a show that I absolutely love. I really, really want to try and get a writer from the show onto this podcast because they introduced a new character this season called the Anxiety Mosquito. Ugh. And honestly, introducing an anxiety mosquito at that age, they're going into eighth grade or whatever, is so accurate. I remember when I was that age is when I can remember my first big bout of anxiety and having and having a anxiety panic attack it was when I was driving on my way with my mom on a hot summer day to an acting summer camp because I wanted to go be in the theater be a performer and on the way there we were driving in this car that didn't have AC and it got too hot and I was clearly nervous my anxiety started kicking in and I started freaking out I had a full-on panic attack I couldn't breathe my mom had to take me home put me in a dark room with air conditioning she didn't know what to do she had to stay home from work and that's one of my first memories so I think it's great that this show is bringing awareness to anxiety in children because it happens it exists and you know if you don't get the tools to deal with it when you're young it keeps growing <laughs> thank god we have the tools now or some tools And sometimes those tools are medicine. I was actually doing research for my guest this week because I am a professional. Um, My guest is Elliot Glazer, who you probably know from things like Broad City. He's a writer on New Girl. We had a great chat. I kind of have a little crush on him. I mean, I have a crush on everyone I talk to. I mean, what? I'm a Scorpio. I can't help it. (laughs) It just happens. But actually, uh, we had a great conversation. I was saying in Broad City, there's an episode where Alana gets seasonal depression and is really upset and has to, she wants to wean herself off of her meds and then realizes, no, she needs to take more of her meds when the, when it's wintertime. And in the end, the message is what? So I get sick sometimes and I need medicine. No big deal. And I think that's a wonderful message. It's something that Ellie and I definitely talk about in this podcast. Um, and we have a great conversation. He's so easy to talk to. So here it is, my conversation with Elliot Glazer. Elliot Glazer is a writer, producer, actor, and performer. He's written for shows like Teachers and New Girl, has a hilarious podcast called You're Making It Worse, and you probably recognize him as Elliot Wexler, Alana's brother on Broad City. We talk about the U.S. election. And I never would have thought so many people would root for a clear comic book villain. Instagays and their exhausting need to post during a pandemic. Like right now is a time, like specifically, where you actually are given a reprieve from proving how social you are. His grandfather's hilarious sketch comedy. He would do all this stuff literally for himself and it would so inspire me and my sister. And of course, anxiety and depression during a pandemic. Mental illness is real, y'all. Yeah. Like, And we are all dealing with it, even if nobody wants to talk about it. It's like, there's no way that this can't affect you. How are you? Hi, Elliot. Hi, how's it going? <laughs> Good, thank you so much for doing this. Oh my God, my pleasure. You're in Canada, right? I'm in Canada and it's cold and we had one of our first snowfalls. Oh my God, what part of Canada? Toronto. Okay. Do you come here? 
Uh, no, I've been to I've been to Toronto, or I know everyone calls it Tor- Toronto. Right? I know I was gonna. I heard you <laughs> pronounce the second T. So it's so New York, Toronto. Uh, <laughs> no, I've been to Toronto, and I did. Um, I've done the uh, Just for Laughs festival in Montreal. Right, right, where right. I was brought to my first uh, male strip club or whatever. <laughs> oh, which one? Oh, I. I guess if you named it, maybe I would remember. Oh, it's there's like the one on top of the drag bar, which is like the famous one. There's like a live feed of it you can watch online. (laughs) I think it was like they were like clearly straight guys doing like toga, wearing like togas. Okay, yeah, literally the least sexual thing I've ever seen. (laughs) It was so unsexual to me. That sounds like the famous one that everyone goes to. Yeah, it was like me and a bunch of like. like comedy executives and comedians and it was so weird i love montreal though but god it was like this is not sexy the (laughs) polar opposite it's great it's so it was so like it was like bland it was like nothing it was like there was there was no element of sexuality to it because the guys were so clearly not interested right it was like doing the bare minimum yeah and also like what is what is sexy about like like when you stop and think about it, it's like, I don't know. It's, it was like, I, seeing your pubes is like, not, <laughs> not like get, getting me going, you know? But there were definitely like older gentlemen there who were loving it. Oh, of course. I actually, yeah, I remember I went once and we were very intoxicated and it was after going to Mado's, which is like the big drag bar there. Yeah. Did you go there? No, I don't think I did. Oh, okay. So that's like the big drag bar. But yeah, and then we were like dragged up afterwards to go to the big show. And then we found out afterwards that they live stream the stage so that if you're at home at any time and you want to just tune into a... Oh my God. (laughs) Male strip club. Oh my God. That's wild. Yeah, it was, I mean, it was great. Montreal was a blast. Montreal was a lot of fun. I go there, I usually go there for Pride or or whatever and... Everyone in Toronto just goes up for Montreal Pride because it's like later in the summer and people love it. Yeah, I mean, it was cool. It was cool to see um, a whole, you know, like a gay region. I mean, that's always so interesting to see, I think, you know, mm-hmm. in a sense, like I'm from New York and I think in a sense I take it for granted um, when there is that area that is primarily gay or gay friendly. And so, you know, seeing it in Montreal was certainly, you know, uplifting and, and always encouraged. So it's always encouraging to see that, you know. Mm-hmm. Those French Canadian gays. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> what have you been doing during quarantine? How's quarantine going for you? Um, quarantine has been, um, I think, challenging. Um, I think, like, just like for everybody, uh, you know, it's just been challenging. I'm very, very uh, anxious and restless. So it's been a lot of um, negotiating <laughs> how to be active and still like be in the world but doing it from the safest perspective possible right um i had a yeah it's just i've been like hiking a lot and um i'm lucky because i have um my sister's in town for a few months so we get to be together and but be careful and so just trying to i don't know trying to be active and and you know i think just just trying to somehow stay sane it's easy to get think it's so easy to get really depressed um, yeah at least for me as someone who has like plenty of mental illness it's like very <laughs> easy for that to happen and same yeah just try, you know just trying to ultimately like stay active and keep be mindful and just just but but also not not deny what's going on well I think that's a big part of it too and I mean it's I've really noticed that too is like friends and I have just been trying to go out for walks just yeah. to do something to be yeah, physical. Walks, exactly. And like the big thing that everyone I know here is like all my good friends are really concerned about is the fact that winter is here and it's very yeah. limiting what we're going to be able to do. And just, and I, we live in Toronto, we're downtown. Like we don't drive, we don't go play. Like everyone just kind of does everything downtown. See, that's and what it, freaks me out. And I'm, you know, I'm from New York and, and, I have plenty of friends and family there and thinking about people having to do that, you know, whether or not you live in a big place in the city, you know, if you, do, you know, it, 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 
it doesn't really matter. Everybody kind of has to deal with the same common denominator of living in a small space uh, virtually all the time. And if you don't have a car and you don't have the wealth to like own a second home or whatever, mm-hmm. it's a, it's a real, it's a real adjustment. I still, I'm still sort of fascinated by the fact that humanity at large has adjusted to the COVID of it all without, I think it's, it's just fascinating that we have been able to adjust. And I'm saying that as if there aren't plenty of Amer- American lunatics who are burning masks and ignoring right. the rules, you know, like I see it all the time. But mm-hmm. with that all being said, like masks, wearing masks everywhere has been, is normal now. And it's a strange thing to get used to. And every now and then I'll sort of like snap out of it, you know, if I'm at like Target or something or the grocery store or wherever, or even on a hike and seeing people wearing masks. And it's like, oh, right, we all look like this now. And that's, that's pretty crazy. Totally. I have the exact same, like those moments where you just snap out of it and you're like, whoa, this is what we're all doing now. We're, we're all, all doing this. We're all doing it. And then it's, it's just so strange to think back to like, you know, a year ago no. and what? Like we didn't even do it. Even watching certain things that weren't so dated are so dated. I know. I was going to say the same thing, watching the most banal stuff, you know, whatever it might be. It is so strange to look at it and be like, remember that world? Like we never, I don't think we'd ever have imagined that a generation defining moment like coronavirus, a pandemic would like enormously and cumulatively shape and change our world the way that say, wars did for people for like older generations or polio you know what mm. i mean like real big world changing events like this is i think going to be ours for the rest of our lives absolutely and it'll be one of those things like ugh, early on i feel like there were those memes or something where it was just about how like you know when you catch your grandparents doing something then you're like that's weird and they're like oh well yeah. that's because that's how they grew up and blah 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 and then it's like in the future it'll be like us sanitizing over sanitizing yeah. something and it's like yes masks and hoarding toilet paper and <laughs> yeah it's a moment that i'll certainly i will never i don't think anybody will ever forget this kind of thing but it is so so bizarre still to see in different parts of the country here at least and but mm. the world at large it's wild to see people um spin out and think that it's fake it's Mm. doctored there's a pandemic that masks don't work that it's 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 kind of astounding to see people be so i I've, i've said so many times that like if you had told me one year ago that we'd be enduring a global pandemic i would never have in a million years guessed that a huge portion of people would not wear a mask if it meant they didn't have to die. Yeah. And there are so many people who are like, oh, no, 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 that doesn't apply to me. And I'm like, (laughs) how did did we get here? It's wild, isn't it? How did we get here? How are there those those groups of... I I feel like it's just people who have never had to deal with anything before. So they're like pushing against it. They spiral. I don't know. I mean, I think it's it's an amalgamation of like, sort of like the, the <laughs> I think like Fox News, I think like mm. the dumbing down of, of society through like, I don't know, reality shows and mm. celebrity culture. But really, I mean, more than anything, like Trump's rise to power and his ability to fan the flames of conspiracy theories. And Howard Stern calls it the idiot renaissance. And yeah. I don't think anything, any phrase captures it any better than that is it is the renaissance for idiocy it is like Mm -hmm. the prime time for true imbeciles to just take power and give power to conspiracy theories fringe shit tea party nonsense pure nonsense and give it power and trump has only helped like validate that thus these people who are like burning masks and shit it's like they're so dumb they're so dumb and they love they sort of like to like uh uh like they're like pigs and shit but it's they're just being dumb yeah yeah they're like they love it like they love it they love it they're getting off on it and it's it's wild because i know a lot of times in canada we're like oh but we're canada we're not it's like no we have these rallies are happening in toronto we have there was an anti-mask rally literally saturday in like 
you know, our Toronto Times Square, Young and Dundas Square, and with Trump flags waving and everything. And we're like, what? You don't even live under his rule. I, yeah. You know, it's like you're not even directly impacted by his behaviors and actions, but like there is something that he elicits in people where it's like moth to a flame. They, mm-hmm. He is their idiot king and they flock to him. They like that he's, I don't know why, but they like that he's stupid. They like that he can't put words together. They like that he has pure ego, he's pure id, e- yeah. that can't speak correctly. He's an asshole. He's openly an asshole. And for some reason, all these people gravitate toward the movie villain. And I never would have thought so many people would root for a clear comic book villain. It blows my mind. Yeah. It's mind blowing. <laughs> Four years later, it's still, it's just mind boggling. Oh yeah. I know the numbers and everything like wild. Wild. It's just wild. What kinds of things have you been doing? Like how, how do you, how do you keep that anxiety at bay? Adivan, uh, Adivan. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. For sure. Uh, let's see. Adivan. Um, I, I'm a devoted, uh, devoted, therapy patient mm. uh, for a long time um god i don't know it's been like a wild year beyond beyond just coronavirus like my i had to put down my dog of of 11 years oh and then god, so after that i had like a whirlwind romance that ended <laughs> very very suddenly and it was you know a horrible 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 breakup in the middle of covid like it's 2020 has been a shit show. Oh my just God. an absolute shit show. So honestly, thank God for meditation and therapy. I'm starting to meditate too. And so between that and therapy and um, medication as well, <laughs> I, <laughs> yeah. I guess that's the best thing. I don't know. I mean, I don't, I don't think I have any sort of secret, but you know, I guess just for me, honestly, like being outdoors helps, mm-hmm. you know, sunshine helps. And I think that's, that's a big part of the reason that I, live in LA, you know, even though the city can often get tagged as being soulless or being filled with like dummies and you know, like uh, whatever uh, um, agents and these like sniveling, you know, (laughs) animals basically all looking. Sleazy care. Yeah. Yeah. It really is also a place that's just allows you to be, allows you to be like around and in nature so often and that for me really just kind of makes life better yeah that's there's i don't have a real magic bullet answer but no 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 but absolutely i think all those things are key like i mean i it was so wild i had just started like an antidepressant the week before mm. this all went down and i was like thank god because yeah. i don't know i don't know oh. what i would have done like no i don't know oh my god it's 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 just bananas. I even like, I like luckily had two dumbbells at, mm. that I had at home. And so once everything hit, cause I like to exercise and I like to, you know, stay in shape, just not just for like vanity reasons, but it feels good to, it just feels good for me. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And like having those two dumbbells was <laughs> a lifesaver because I, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Being so solitary and sedentary was such a challenge to begin with. So like the fear on top of the fear of this unknown, insane virus, that's just, you know, eating people alive in conjunction with being forced to like not move essentially was Mm -hmm. very scary. And so luckily I've found alternatives since then in terms of exercising, but God, I don't know what I would, I don't know. It's, it's just, it's all such a, such a challenge for everybody, everybody across the board, but you know, it's, Mm -hmm. and then I think on top of all that, you just have to keep on just thinking and and being so grateful to all the people who work from the first responders and from the people in the medical field to truckers and, you know, people in restaurants. And I mean, people who are just keeping the economy afloat and keeping the world afloat the best they can. Like it's such a time to be grateful for that too. Totally. Like keeping things moving, keeping things going. Yeah, it's, it's like, it's, yeah. And minimizing our risk by what they're doing. Exactly. Like, yeah. I think that's what makes me most, most mad at people who, uh, who ignore the rules. It's like, you're just, you're just giving the finger to people who are out there in the world trying to keep your world continuous. Yeah. And some people I just see like some of these 
people guys on twitter who are just like or, or instagram that are just like off having these parties and everything and i'm just no it's really shook. it's really jarring there's an account called <laughs> gays over covid oh, God. where i think some one and i'm assuming it's one guy will just repost pictures and videos of like gatherings of who are clearly gay men mm-hmm. uh, and <laughs> I don't like part of me is like, well, it's not fair to assume that they haven't all been tested or, but essentially it's like these giant groups of, of people, especially men, especially if they're like shirtless, they're not quarantining <laughs> together, you know, like oh. it's, it's a, it's a jarring sight to see. I mean, also on top of it, even if let's say in one of the pictures that he posts, a dozen guys have had COVID and they've been tested and they're all together for like a weekend and, you know, I still don't know why they would think to post that picture now. That's what always blows my mind is the posting of the photos. Like, I mean, you just don't have to do it. You you don't have to do it. Like, if you're off having some, like, secret party, toasted twice, whatever, like, just don't post it. You don't don't have to prove, like, right now is a time, like, specifically, where you actually are given reprieve from proving how social you are. You're allowed to not do that. And so you'd think they would take up that opportunity to, you know, to avoid being shamed for potentially dangerous activity or gluttonous, whatever, self-indulgent activity. You'd think that at the very least, they'd be like, you know what? I'm not going to press post. Yeah. No one forces you to press post on your Instagram. Nobody forces you to do anything with your finger on Instagram that you don't have to do. So when you see stuff, that's my, that's always my takeaway is like, no one forced anybody to post this. Yeah. So when you see in self-indulgent kind of stuff like these parties, it's wild that they took the steps. They took all the steps necessary to go. Yep, I need to. I need to post this publicly. It's like how many things had to go through your mind, and you still decided. I know the world needed to see you at a, a some yeah. rave. Yeah, I just I follow it. Just I think sort of gleefully, but at the same <laughs> time, like. You can't verify. You can't really verify what's going on in the situation. So mm. I take it all with a grain of salt. But I think, if anything else, it is a funny um, lens into the sort of lack of self-awareness that anybody, gay, straight, queer, mm. anybody, has when they post group pictures. You know, when like the Real Housewives post like group pictures or whatever at parties, and it's like, guys, just don't right now. Yeah. Just, just don't. Ramona. Yeah, we don't. Yeah, Ramona. That's literally who I'm thinking of. Of course. I didn't have the virus. She's um, are you a Housewives fan? Um, I mean, in a micro sense, in the sense that like I only watch New York. Yeah. I have no interest in... My friend tried to get me to watch Salt Lake City, which people are calling a revelation. Yeah. <laughs> I watched it and I have, to, I have to admit, I just didn't get hooked because there's something for me very specific to New York that is uniquely odd that mm-hmm. because like, I don't know what it is per se, but I'm, I am very much turned off by um, reality shows that are produced in a sophisticated way. I like early reality shows that were kind of, that were just done poorly and Ooh, like, like what? Oh my God. There's my favorite, my favorite show was called airplane airport airplane or airport what? and it's just a reality show that took place in three south three airports for southwest one in <laughs> chicago one maybe in like a southwestern city and i forget where the third one was but it's just a reality show in three airports with southwest employees and you just watch them deal with drunk passengers uh passengers who have bo uh really angry people trying to rebook flights you're just watching like normal people at their normal jobs. And I am so into that. And right. I'm also into, like weird, like Real Housewives of New York in its early days was so fucking weird. Kelly Ben Simone was the oddest animal to ever be, the oddest oh character my goodness. to be on television. And Ramona, even now, I don't, I don't really know how she's made it all the way through, but she is not, she's like anti-television. Her behavior is so abhorrent and her, her like, the irony of her talking about how classy she is and how Catholic she is. And then she just happens to be like the worst person, like the most moralist human being. 
it's like, I know it's a disaster to watch, but at the same time, like, I don't like my reality shows so clean and neat. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's why I was turned off by Salt Lake City or even like Beverly Hills. I like there to be some element of raw rawness to it. And the first few seasons of uh, New York felt that way. I still watch, but totally. I love like mid 2000s, early aughts reality shows that are still not quite polished yet that everybody knew what they were doing. Right. Like everybody knows what they're doing now. They're performing. Oh, totally. I even think like I used to go back and watch or I recently just went back and watched uh, like the first season of Laguna Beach, which is just like teenagers in high school, like seeing a camera guy in the background, like Lauren Conrad with like armpit stubble. And I'm just like, yeah, "Yeah." my ex and I were watching. uh, We binged the hills throughout the beginning of Mm -hmm. quarantine and I'd never seen it. And I always thought it was supposed to be really I always thought like. It was sounded so boring. I didn't understand the appeal. And then I really got into it because it was so, um, it was almost like non-TV where there was so little dialogue. So little. So much music and so little dialogue that it was fascinating to watch. So I used to, (laughs) so you know Dan Levy? Um, So Dan and Jesse Crookshank, we used to be on MTV Canada here. Mm -hmm. And they hosted a show called The Hills After Show. Like that's, oh, that's right. I knew that about Dan. Yeah. So that's like how Dan kind of started. And I right. <laughs> used to be an after show friend. So oh. <laughs> we would go on and like watch the episode before it aired and like come up with our talking points. And then oh, they fun. would host the show and we'd go back and forth. So it's just so funny that you said that because the one thing I remembered, and it's what really kind of got me <laughs> so into reality TV, was we would get the cuts before all the ADR was recorded. So there would just be these moments where like Lauren would be like, so I'm off to see blah, blah, blah. And then you'd hear an editor's voice being like, and I hope Spencer's not there. Like it was just. <laughs> right. right. So, pure, so, otherwise pure silence. Yeah, exactly. And so, the editors being like, yeah, just, just filling in the gaps. Because also the show was, I think that show was probably, I guess, groundbreaking in the sense that it was the first, I would assume, to really toe the line between reality and fiction. Yeah. Produced reality. Big um, time. And you watch it happen. You watch it evolve. Because in the very yeah. first season, it was still kind of a little rough. But then, like, by the end, it's you're like, none of this is really... Well, I mean, I have to tell you, I, I stopped watching once uh, Lauren left and they brought in Kristen. The wedding? I was like, yeah, I was like, I'm out. It's, it, or at least when, when Lauren leaves, it's like, Kristen's acting and I'm over it. And that's what it was too. Like, and yeah, yeah. And she even, I've heard her talk about that so many times. And like Lauren talked about how she was like, I left because I didn't want my life fucked with producers all the time. Exactly. It just kept happening. She's like, yeah, I would go and it would be my birthday. And then I'd look and Heidi all of a sudden showed up on the boat because producers brought her here. And I'm like, I actually just want to celebrate my birthday. Right. It's like, yeah, it's, it's, it's a produced reality. And I just, I think that that turns me off. And so mm-hmm. for whatever reason, I can kind of, I'll sense it. And so I think that's what keeps me from watching most of the Housewives shows because they feel uber produced in a way that New York didn't used to and sometimes still doesn't in that you'll see r- sort of random things that could, you can't produce Leah's boxing coach. You can't produce oh God, yes. Dorinda's bizarre realtor, that woman who's like- Lori. You know, Lori, yeah, you can't <laughs> you can't produce that, and that to me is like, oh, that's that's pure New York. You can't invent those characters; they are they exist there, mm-hmm. and the show has to work around it. Versus Salt Lake City, where from go you can see they know how to essentially act up for camera. I well, actually put it into perspective by saying they're in they're drag queens. <laughs> oh yes 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 they know now and everyone knows how to do it now like there's been so many of it so many seasons me out i have to say you know there's one reality show from years ago that to me is i guess you can call it a reality show but it's i love reality shows that take place in um boring workplaces like Mm -hmm. dull places of business and there was a show on amc i think called small town security that you can find on i think on prime now and it's the most incredible show because it takes place in a tiny private security firm or like rent rent a security guard kind of firm Uh in rural georgia that was started (laughs) by this like 
older Jewish man and is the, the chief, quote unquote, the like the chief is his wife, who is this incredibly charismatic, bizarre woman who wears like cat, she's like a heavy one, very heavy woman who wears cat eye makeup. And her dream was always to be like a famous bombshell, but she's she sits in a security firm all day, like pretending oh. she's a chief of police. Right. And you can't invent these characters and one of whom is like this really like hardcore, super like masculine, uh, very um, intense security guard who's all about like protection. And he's also got <laughs> a bizarre affair, sort of like bizarre flirtation that goes on with Joan the chief. And then you find out that he's trans. What? <laughs> and the way they talk about his transness is so fascinating and groundbreaking and I can't recommend it enough. It is the weirdest show and I love it so much. I love that. I love that. And I love those like hidden gems. There was a show. Do you remember? Oh, it was called Bunny Ranch. And it was mm-hmm. about like a brothel in, I want to say Vegas. Uh-huh. Yeah, probably. And it was just fascinating. It was just like the man, the owner and these women and just like you'd see clients come in and out. And, and then oh, that's wild. wild things happened later on. But there was like the jealousy between the one woman being like the boss's main girl. It was all the it was. Oh, my was, God. I know. Give me a work. Give me a boring workplace show, even if it is a brothel. <laughs> It's like slow TV. You like slow TV. I, I like slow TV. Yeah, I like slow TV. I do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, did you always watch that kind of stuff? Or what did you watch like growing up? What are the things you remember watching growing up? I mean, I was like a Nickelodeon kid. I watched a lot of Nickelodeon. Uh, incidentally, my friend showed me that there's a documentary out called The Orange Years about oh. like making of Nickelodeon shows. Okay. And I am furious to find out that they excluded my favorite show growing up, which is called Roundhouse. Like oh. on Nickelodeon, they had all that and Roundhouse. And all that was their very popular sketch show from which you, we got Amanda Bynes and Kenan uh, Thompson. Um, but I was never into all that. I was into this show Roundhouse. <laughs> sort of They're like scrappy little stepsister. But it was this show with these really funny or like 20 somethings basically doing their own version of SNL, but kid friendly. And yet it was still adult enough that the jokes were sophisticated and they did it in sort of a, a sort of a theater in the round in Orlando or whatever. Okay. And it was so good. And it was so, and I still will go back and find videos on YouTube and I'm like, this was good. This was a good ass show. And they don't talk about it in the documentary for some reason. And I feel like it's been scrubbed from the history pages of like the, <laughs> The Nickelodeon years. It's like, what um, really happened there? Yeah, what <laughs> happened? Yeah, I was a Nickelodeon kid. I also loved, like, I loved the show Give Me a Break for some reason with mm. Nell Carter, who was like a, you remember her? She was like, I, oh, oh, I love Nell Carter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I loved Nell Carter. And my parents were like, you were like, f- I was like four years old and I just was obsessed with Give Me a Break. I have, n- you know, I couldn't tell you why. But yeah, I did. I watched that. And like, as a kid, I didn't fully understand SNL, but I watched it every week. And who were your, who were your, I always say like ladies of SNL. <laughs> oh my God. Well, I loved Jan Hooks. Oh yeah. She was so good and still so underrated and underappreciated. And God, she was just brilliant. Um, but I also was like obsessed with Mike Myers because he did the Linda Richmond character. I was obsessed with that character because it was just my grandma, you know, like right. <laughs> my grandma and her friends. And I was like, I was just obsessed, but I loved Jen. I loved Jan Hook so much. She was just so brilliant and fun to watch. Um, I love all of them. I, 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 you know, I think Tina Fey is just a God, right? Comedy God. I, I, I sit at her altar or whatever it is. I worship <laughs> at her altar. <laughs> My roommate and I were just um, talking about Sherry O'Terry and this is amazing. And then all of a sudden, all of these old like Spartan cheers came back to me that yes. I just was like, oh, I used to say these on the recess playground. Like I would, yeah, I'd go out and I was, I'd memorize these and I was so young and I was like, why are my parents even, because my parents would record SNL and then I'd watch yeah. it on VHS the next day. Yeah. I, there's something What's interesting with Sherry O'Terry is that she did a, a specific, she had a specific way of doing characters that was very, um, that had its own, she had her own like machinations in the way that her, 
she did a character that was like she and Will Ferrell would host a morning show that was basically like Regis and Kelly. Yes, yes. And she, and she it was just perfect. And I never, I think she never really fully got her due in the way that, the way that Jim Carrey shaped a lot of the way that people like to, kids at the time, but also other comedians would be would do physical comedy the way his machinations worked. Mm-hmm. I think Sherry O'Terry kind of introduced that through her performances, but probably because she's a woman, she never got enough credit for, you know, introducing that level of performative performativeness, the way her body right. moved in her mouth and, you know, all the, the way she performed was, I think, influential in comedy, but never got it to do the way like a Jim Carrey did. Uh, yeah, I feel like she never got her due. She didn't, and she's a brilliantly funny, funny actress. Totally. Did all those shows like SNL and that Nickelodeon show, is that kind of where you realize like, hey, I'm into this? Um, yeah, I mean, I was just a very hammy kid to begin with and was always like making... <laughs> My grandpa was a big, like a goofy guy, very goofy and very funny and always had like a video camera and would do his own sketches for himself. Really? Like, yes. <laughs> he would like literally film himself doing like a weekend update style news <laughs> round table at, or he would do like these characters and it was all about around his interests, like politics and opera and, you know, it was sort of highbrow, but he would do all this stuff literally for himself and it would so inspire me and my sister and there and I sort of took on the the role of like family um cinematographer and mm-hmm. essentially stole my dad's camcorder the moment he got it and just hijacked it and made hours and I think I probably made like hundreds of hours worth of content of sketches really? and videos yeah so much of it because my grandpa did it and I wanted to do the same thing and I think obviously a lot of inspiration came from yeah, Nickelodeon and and what uh, SNL or whatever I was watching. Do you have any? Do you still have it all? Like, would you ever turn that into something? <laughs> uh, my sister and I made a web series a few years ago where we just called. We just digitized a bunch of the footage and then made uh, video commentary watching the footage but us as adults commenting on the video of us <laughs> as kids and I mean it's very queer content both in like. This, the you know gen- gender and sexuality of it all, but also in the the oddity. Like mm. I was a weird kid, but yeah, we've ha- we have so much of the content that I think ostensibly at some point it would be cool to somehow do something with it, you know, on a grander scale. But um, I don't know. It's very embarrassing. <laughs> it's very embarrassing. <laughs> I mean, hey, we all did that kind of stuff. I mean, I used to. Yeah make the neighbors watch me perform like Disney songs. And I, of course I can't sing, I can't dance, but I did. I perform, I, but I can perform. That's what I would yes. always say. And as long as somebody told you you're, you know, you can, you know, that's all that matters. It's like, sorry, neighbors, you can't leave yet. Brett needs to yeah. get a song from a goofy movie for you. That's perfect. That's perfect. <laughs> were you always like, were you kind of like a gay kid? Um, no, I was super masked. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> No, I was super gay, I think. I don't, I mean, I never thought of, I don't know. I, I mean, as a kid, there were, my parents were surprised that when I came out, like as a mm-hmm. teenager. But I mean, as a kid, I did a few gay things. Like I liked, I loved like wearing heels for the sound, I remember. Oh, yes. <laughs> but there wasn't part of me that was like, I want to dress up like a girl. It was just the heels. Yeah, yeah. And the heels yeah. were fascinating. But yeah, and I did like theater and stuff, but I, I never... I don't think I was ever particularly um, gay. I think I was just kind of like gentle and funny. Um, gentle. I mean, and look, funny. I, I'll, there is a there is a, a video of me in uh, the play Annie mm-hmm. at like a summer camp one year, and there's just one dance move that's like when I saw it after years of not having seen the video, it was like what, like whoa! I, it was like a Richard Simmons move, you know? <laughs> yeah, like a hip, a hip twist that a child should never do. Um, oh yeah (laughs) but but yeah i think i was like i was definitely like a queer kid you know but not enough that it really got me bullied per se or targeted um i was always able to at least pass right especially got older i grew up in a very italian kind of uh part of new york and long island between the nine like the homophobia of the 90s right like being even seen as remotely gay but combine that with this like very 
uh, Italian, very macho culture in which I grew up, I was terrified of being, you know, outed, so to speak. And so I, I was able to pass without getting, uh, I don't know, I was able to pass, but also sort of deflect by being funny and well-liked by just being funny and affable and stuff. Right. I was going to say, like, did, is that kind of, you know, I mean, I feel like a lot of the times we practice our comedy when we are that young and that's how we yeah. do it. Right. Yeah. I used it to, def- I mean, I used it a lot, especially as I got older to deflect from the idea of, I mean, I literally was like, I love the golden girls. And, <laughs> and then I, I sort of turned it into this more outrageous bit where I was like, I like old ladies. And it became this goofy bit where people were like, yeah, you're, you're the guy who loves old ladies. And it's like, yeah, they don't really love old ladies, but <laughs> sure. I'll go with that. If you're not going to call me a faggot. Exactly. You know, it's a way to sort of weave, duck and, duck and weave. Totally. I mean, yeah, I used to always just think people were cool or I was really into like wrestling for a bit, but it was for like the fights. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. Wrestling for the fights. Meanwhile, it's like, that's gay porn. Like that is literally gay porn just just shy of insertion or just shy of penetration it's gay porn i used to watch and have like the like button ready to go back to whatever i was watching before and it would be that and queer as folk and i was like well what's gayer absolutely like- I, exactly <laughs> i never watched queers i was never gravitated toward like a queers folk kind of show but wrestling i was i mean i was a very uh, uh a, i was a child who for some reason was scared of everything and scared of scared of everything including wrestling so i think Mm. that somehow threatened my safety so to speak but as i got older i'm like this is literally almost hot yeah absolutely i still sometimes i go back and i'm like oh right i was really into uh this match for some reason and it was like yeah whatever the ass mask oh yeah ass i'm an ass man that guy oh you just always show his ass and i was like this is great yeah, it was like, I'm an ass man. And then he was known for, like, mooning. Oh, my God. That, see, that's also very fun, funny, too, because, like, as a gay kid, I think you're taught to, as a kid, you're taught to think that mooning is, like, a goof. But I guess if you're gay, queer one way or the other, you know, and you, are, you see the same gender, like, showing their butts, guys or girls, it's probably a mixed message (laughs) (laughs) oh totally but also it's like you know especially like gay kids it's like what else did we have to see that exactly so you're you yeah it's sort of internalized in a sort of messy homoerotic slash you know shameful way that you don't know what to do with it as a kid real complicated stuff (laughs) for all of us growing up (laughs) yeah um so when did your career start to kind of happen and take off like what how did that begin um well i started doing comedy live comedy well i interned uh every i was at i went to nyu and basically interned every semester because there was so much that i wanted to do or wasn't sure what i wanted to do i would use internships to kind of check them off the list and be like no i don't want to do that (laughs) eventually i landed at uh, landed at uh conan as an intern and ultimately being able to see that you could like write and or perform comedy for a living changed the sort of structure in my in my head about how that would work and ended up interning at SNL the year after that too. Um, So it was from there that I just kind of I was around that enough to get a taste of it from a you know obviously a a very novice uh, perspective but Mm -hmm. Um, I started training um, in improv at the Upright Citizens Brigade Theater in New York. Um, Ultimately, I did it with my sister. And from there, we built a community and had a sketch show that ran for a few years. Um, And then, but it really wasn't until like 2014 or so that I started getting uh, work when I got hired to write on the show Younger. Right. Um, So that was my first writing job. And so between that and performing live comedy and then Broad City happening, that's really when things started to take off, so to speak. And so at this point, I'm lucky because I get to do, I do more writing, but I, but I get to act here and there. I mean, more so when it's not, when we're not in the throes of a pandemic, but um, luckily, totally. I, yeah. I'm, I mean, like, yeah, like you, you write, produce, like story. Okay, can I question for you, story editing? Yeah. 
So uh, story editing is a fancy way of just saying you're a writer. It's literally just one l- rung of the ladder. It really doesn't oh. mean anything. See, it's so okay. See, that, that's what I wanted to ask you about because for me, I like I'm a story editor <laughs> for yeah. reality, and it's very yeah. different. <laughs> it's very different. You have a lot of rain uh, in TV and comedy writing and, and TV writing. It's literally just a rung of the ladder. It doesn't mean anything in particular, uh, which is uh, <laughs> I don't mean to like destroy the mirage but like there is really not that much difference between a story editor and a producer it's just a rung of the ladder got you okay cool thank you for clearing that up Sure. <laughs> you know you've been doing this for a little while now what would you say to yourself when you were younger to start into this i mean i think i would say to myself or anybody in that position that you have to embrace you have to embrace like your shadow you have to, you have to, if you want to succeed, you have to like actually engage with the bad stuff, you know, the, the stuff that makes you vulnerable, the stuff that makes you feel um, uh, uneasy. You know, you, you kind of have to take risks to, to get ahead. And then on top of it, I mean, I really think it's a matter, it really is a matter of telling somebody to, to just be, just be nice, just be kind you know, I think that helps a lot. O- often, for whatever reason, in this industry, at least, it can be very um, smarmy and skeezy, and people just kind of, you know, dog. It's a very doggy dog kind of industry. But I also think there is just something really valuable to just being a good person and just mm-hmm. leading, leading with some semblance of kindness and consideration for others. That always will will do 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 good by you. And you, and do you find yourself, you know, like diving into that vulnerability in your writing? Yeah, I think so. I think I, I only get, you only get better with, I mean, it's, it's so subjective for everybody because for someone like me, I'm like a multi-hyphenate who does stuff that's autobiographical and I pull mm-hmm. from, you know, my life or my world um, on specific projects, you know, I mean, I wrote on the show Teachers, but which was which all took place in an elementary school, but I've never worked in an elementary school. So that was more of a chance to essentially write sketch comedy in the sitcom format. Right. But I have a show that I'm developing right now that is mostly autobiographical about being gay and anxious for the most part. Yes. <laughs> unfortunately, <laughs> it requires me to dig in and really be vulnerable in a way that I have been afraid to for a long time, but it's really, you know, it's really my sister who has been helpful in pushing me to embrace that because it is what pushes you ahead. It's, it, it's what makes any artist a better artist. They have to like, they have to shed skin to, you know, grow themselves. I always think about too, you know, especially certain things that have happened to us and we think back and we're like, oh, no one's interested in that. It's just what I did. It's just what I did. But like, you know, when you dive that deep and you get those personal moments, that's when it becomes so bigger. Yeah. That's when you connect with people. And ultimately on top of that, it's like everybody, it is, everybody is interesting in their own way. And everybody has something that makes them unique and interesting. And you really have to dial in and find out what that is. What is like the one story that you can tell that nobody else can tell. And then you, you sort of build your world around that and figure out the best way to tell that story, no matter if it takes months or years, you want to perfect it because it's the only, because only you can tell that story. And that's what, that's what I think becomes invaluable when somebody is able to do that, you know? Absolutely. And so that's what you've been working on. That's what you've been kind of digging away at. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's a show that I'm doing um, with uh, the actor Colton Haynes. Right. Um, I read about this. Comedy. <laughs> yeah. It's a buddy comedy and we're still developing it and making it a, a sort of um, a shortened pilot uh, essentially that we're developing, but, but, you know, we're going to shoot it in hopefully January or February. And, um, you know, it's a, it's a, it's certainly the most exciting thing that I've ever worked on and it. And it's mostly autobiographical, but it has elements of like a buddy comedy as well to it. Right. So, um, but yeah, it's required me to <laughs> and be uncomfortable, but it's, it's, it really is the only way to make 
you can only fake it for so long and you can, you, it's very hard to do, to make good comedy without, it's very hard to make, it's very challenging to make good comedy that connects with people if it's still layered with vanity. Right. You right. Gotta, you kind of, kind of got to be like, be ugly to, to be funny in a way. You got to be ugly to be funny. Yeah, kind of. <laughs> I agree. I think that's, that's wonderful. So that's really cool. So that's kind of like the next big thing. Yeah, I hope so. I'm like, I mean, I'm also lucky enough to be writing on uh, this show, Liza on Demand, uh, with right. Liza Oshi. Uh, so that's at YouTube. Um, I think it's one of their last remaining premium shows, but she's a fucking superstar. <laughs> and uh, it's so, so wonderful. And the team on that show is a blast. So I'm luckily lucky to be writing on the third season of that. And also just by sheer coincidence, I'm writing a movie for her um, oh. at Nickelodeon. All, all <laughs> by coincidence, but Liza's like my world right now. <laughs> I'm like none of these things have actually happened. You're just plugging Nickelodeon and this. I know. <laughs> right, it's right. It hasn't happened yet. But yeah, so I'm lucky. You know, I think what's helpful for me is like it's given me projects to continue doing while COVID is happening. So. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, I'm afraid I would literally jump off a bridge. So these things help. <laughs> <laughs> they, I trust me, I get it. I'm lucky that I'm still working from yes. home from a computer, yes. like going at it. And even just doing this podcast is giving me like so much, you know. Yes. And even just having these conversations with all these different queer people and like, yeah, everyone is connected and everyone feels what's happening right now, you know. Yes, but, not, but not everybody, including myself, is eager or or willing to so quickly admit how difficult it can be, but mm-hmm. it's important because I think now more than ever, it's like, at least from my end, it's like mental illness is real y'all. Yeah. Like, and we are all dealing with it. Even if nobody wants to talk about it, it's like, there's no way that this can't affect you. It has mm-hmm. to affect you. So it's important to talk about it if you, if you can. And if you can't, it'd be healthy to get to a place where you can at least begin to talk about it, Absolutely. you know, promoting. Try it sometimes. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Well, look, this was such a great conversation. I had so much fun talking to you. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. And I I really appreciate it. Of course. I can't wait to see what you make (laughs) during all of this. (laughs) Neither can I. Through all of this ugly, we will laugh. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Hopefully 2021 will be a very productive year where I get to finally, I think, spread my wings and fly a little bit in a way that they've felt clipped in 2020. Absolutely. I hope we all do. Yeah. Thank you so much. Sure. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening. Please subscribe, rate, review the podcast. It only takes two seconds. Bye.